All right, so we are Romans chapter 6. Uh, make sure you have a copy of it. Sorry, Romans 8. Make sure you have a copy of it out there in front of you. No, we're not backtracking a couple chapters. Um, so far in our book, okay, um, we're just kind of picking up. Romans 6 kind of started this idea of like, who wants what out of you? Romans 6, what does sin want out of you? Don't follow what sin wants out of you. Then we get to Romans 7. What does the law want out of you? Don't follow what the written code wants out of you. Then towards the end of Romans uh, 7, what does your natural flesh, your natural inclinations want out of you? Don't follow that. But instead in Romans 8, we get to, instead, we have the third member of the Trinity stuck inside of you. The Spirit of Jesus is now in us in ways that was not true for the Old Testament. And so when we're thinking through, what do I do? Where do I go? How do I pay attention? How do I make decisions? We look towards the mind of the Spirit, not our natural inclinations, not the teachings and instructions of the Old Testament, not sin, right? But instead, we look to the Spirit. So chapter 8 is pouring out a lot of this information about the Spirit. He gives us new hearts that function as sons and daughters of God and a new level of intimacy there. So it also brings us then to, to a, a surprising thing. I, I would say Romans is kind of like this. I just came up with this. It may not be terrible. Actually, I came up with two things. The first one was terrible. Um, I feel like Romans, to some degree, is like you've been invited to a giant mansion. Of course, there's big rooms and halls and important places, but then there's like secret corridors, right? Little nooks and crannies where you can look into it. I remember the first time uh, that the Hampton kids took me to their grandma's house down there, and they were all excited about a couple of like secret spots. There are holes in the attic, right? And, uh, but if you go in here, and you go around this corner, and you tunnel through here, you open the door, oh, boom, you're in the guest bedroom right? So it's kind of cool. As a kid, you love secret passages. And um, uh, I think Romans is kind of like that. The arguments take you into places, and all of a sudden, it kicks you out into something where you weren't expecting to be as something really, really, really big. And today's passage is like that. Last week, we went through, we're tunneling through this idea of like, okay, we're down some depths of like, now he's given us the Spirit. The Spirit does this new work in us. It orients our hearts towards the Lord, wanting intimacy with him. Um, and we are the sons, but then it all of a sudden turns the corner and you open up this door and you are on a stage, the Father's stage. It's a really unexpected turn, but a pretty amazing one. Um, a lot of our songs today sang, uh, sang uh, went around the theme of God providing for us in hardship and difficulty in a time of rest. Um, last night I was driving home from a, an activity and um, I was recognizing my heart wants rest. I just want things to be over, right? And so a lot of times, we correctly, as gospel people, now know that God offers us rest, offers us restoration. But God offers us things way more than rest and restoration. And that's our passage today, and I hope it's helpful to you. We scratched some of these themes um, this, a, a month and a half ago during our learning week when we hit the glory of God and the glory of man. But I hope that today's passage, number one, I'm just praying that the Lord would give me grace to not be an idiot in this amazing passage here, and that I might just, just faithfully scratch the surface of something here. It's all there. You can see it. I mean, once I, once I read it, you're going to go, oh, it's right there. How, how did I see that? Or maybe you're like, I've seen it all my life, Scott. You just didn't see it. But I, my likelihood is this. I think most of us don't deal with this trap door and this stage that we come out on. It's something really amazing and something really astounding but really today, all I can do is just break the ice up a little bit on it for you. 
and for you to, to start thinking and meditating and watching out scripture-wide for this theme. Uh, take a look in verse 16. Our first piece today is this. Um, our, our title is called The Emerging of the Majestic You. The Emerging of the Majestic You. Our first piece is this, which life will you invest? Verse, so verse 16, 17. 16 was last week. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And that's a big thing, because in the gospel, we weren't children of God to start off with. We were hostile towards God, and now this new work, the work of Jesus, has transform, uh, transformed us from hostility to sonship. That was an amazing move that happened in the text. We, if we hadn't read it before, we couldn't see it coming. That move from hostility to sonship was a really amazing thing. And that is catalyzed by the spirit of sonship in our hearts, not only being there, but stirring within us to make us now oriented towards God. So we are sons and daughters of God, children of God, which is really amazing since we were hostile towards him and aliens from him. So 16, now children of God. 17, and then here's where all of a sudden that twisty turn kicks open onto the stage. And if children, then heirs, 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 of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Now, don't think inheritance yet. Heirs, you just go inheritance. Like, oh, I'm the heir of somebody. I have inheritance. It's true. There are biblical, eternal inheritances that we receive. This passage is not talking about your inheritances. It's talking about you as an heir. The essence of you not necessarily what you get. There are other passages we'll talk about what you get in heirship. But this right here is talking about you who once were a hostile person against God have now been made a son or daughter. And if you're a son or daughter, you're really, really an adopted son or daughter with full rights and heirship with God himself. It goes on to say in verse 17, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. This is where we begin to realize that God's sonship is so much more than God simply giving us the rest that we want. I know I want that rest. Oh, I want that rest. I had one of those moments last night. I don't know if you've ever had this. I'm driving somewhere by the cruise stadium. I start thinking about eternity, and then I get that weird sense of quiver inside my heart where I don't want eternity, right? Like, I want it to be done sometime. And then all of a sudden I realize, he says, it's not going to be done. After 1,000 years, after 10,000 years, 1 million years, 4 million years, it's not going to be done. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I remember, I couldn't exist like that. But because of God, I can. Because God will eternally unfold the riches of his grace in front of us. Only God, the presence of an infinite, wonderful God, will ever allow heaven and eternity to not be complete hell to us. Right? Only that. So he's resting my heart in him somewhere around the crew stadium like, uh, listen, I'll take care of that. I'm going to slick your hair back for eternity on the goodnesses that come out of me. And you're not going to sit there and go, ah, 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 just, just snuff me out. I've had 10 million years. I'm good now. No, 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 no. He will continue to pour it. It will be better and better and better. So I realized, though, in sonship that I want that rest and I want all the tears to be dried up and I want things to be good. But sonship is something so much bigger than simply that. It comes with a promotable, an unthinkable promotion and an inclusion into the reign of Christ. Unthinkable promotion and inclusion into the reign of Christ and the ownership of all things. 
when he turns that little corner from you being sons and daughters to heirs, I think what's happened is that the door's open, you're on a stage, and then the light is so bright from outside you can't see what's going on. I'm hoping that a little bit today that you can stand there in that doorway on that stage and that your eyes can adjust a little bit and you can see what's going on on the stage. Because heirs means nothing to us when we first read that. At best, we're like, so I get stuff? Yeah, you get stuff. But this is not about what you get. This is about you. you are who you will be, all of the power, all of the glory, all of the honor, all the things you share with Christ. It's not about what you get. It's about who you are and will be. So I'm hoping the Lord allows our eyes to shift a little bit and see this stuff as something far better than simply rest for eternity, but glory for eternity. The gospel, the gospel creates a contrast between two things. And so in this passage here, we see this, if your sons and your heirs, provided that you suffer with Christ, that you might be glorified with him. So the gospel thinking, this worldview of all things, brings us to a fork in the road, the here-now life or the then life. And one of those will be your best life. Uh, I'm not gonna, I don't want to make fun of uh, old books, but 20 years ago, there's a book written by a guy um, called Your Best Life Now. It's a really interesting title because it's absolutely against what this verse says. So the gospel brings you to you being a son and an heir of this life right here or you being a daughter and heir of the life that is to come. It's a fork in the road. Which life will be invested for the benefit of the other? Will you forsake eternity and all of that for the sake of a sweet, hot 60 years here? That's oh so good in your experience, right? You're not experiencing any type of anxiety, no type of anger, no one is sick, no cancer, no death, no bad Twitter feeds, no unreliable news sources, none of that. Really great governors of our land all the time, right? It's just so great. For sure we should sacrifice all of eternity for the glories of this little dying, shriveling thing with no answers for hope and purpose and ethics, all that kind of, right? So we sacrifice the future for the glories of now, or the gospel calls us to sacrifice the now for the glories of future. So the gospel brings us into seeing there is one of two lives that we will choose. Which life will you choose is the real question. Christ tells us, I'm not going to just leave you in the dark to figure out which life you should choose. Listen to what I'm saying. The one who lived this life, the one who died death, came back from life, experienced both sides of it. Listen to what I'm saying about which one is worth laying down and which one is worth holding to. So if you're a Christian here today, are you embracing this life here for suffering with Christ, investing it, in welcoming your new position of being an heir with God and a co-heir with Christ. Is this life and its, and its oldness and its purposed investment clear to you? Is this life clear to you, a life of investment? Second, kind of a funky title, but live with me on this. The future you is, trans is transformed majestic royalty. The future you is transformed majestic royalty. Look at verse 18. For I consider, same argument, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to literally in us. Not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Glory. What a weird word. 
so I, about a month and a half ago, we did a learning week. If you didn't watch that learning week with your MC, I would really encourage you guys to go back. Uh, the word glory is all over the scriptures. It's one of those funny Bible-y words that you, if I say, hey, describe glory, actually do it right now. You've got five seconds. Turn to the person next to you, describe glory. Just kidding. I'm not going to do that. So it's like, it's one of these really weird words. Like it's, what do you do with it? But we have it all the way around us. The, the word in the Old Testament, the word kabod is, is, is our core word. It's the idea of weight. It's a weight that impresses. It's impressiveness is what it is. It's the essence of something being so big that it moves other things. No glory means everything moves it. Great glory means it moves everything. It weighs upon things. So glory is a concept that we see a lot of times in the New Testament, but, we, but I think it's where sports are helpful. No, Kevin, but I could talk about you. Um, but I think where the issue of sports really brings it out for us as far as what glory is because, you know, in our sporty sport teams, we are so impressed about how good it is, how it's right for everyone to bow to it. It's like how we would sacrifice for it and blow our lungs out for it. It's because it's so good and weighty and majestic. It's got glory. So sport does some really great thing for us that maybe a few other things do. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. Heirship here is not about inheritance, but rather the position, essence, and greatness of your glory. You. Young man, young woman, old man, old woman. A person who puts their faith in Jesus and becomes a son or daughter of God. God says he will glorify you. So we did the learning week a couple weeks, a month ago, talk about God's passion is his glory. The number one thing on God's mind is his glory. When we first hear that, we're like, come on, that sounds like a supremely chumpy God that would be like, oh, about my glory, my glory, my glory. We can't forecast sixth graders on the God of heaven and how he views glory. His view of glory and what the glory is is something totally different and outside of us. We cannot begin to comprehend it all. But because his glory because of the impressiveness and the weight of who he is, is unparalleled and unmatched. He can't be a, a liar and deny that. He has to advance that. He creates us so we can share in that glory. He creates us so we can enjoy that glory. He creates us so we can enhance that glory. And then what gets really strange is when you realize that thing that he really cherishes and protects, he now invites us into it. He invites us into that glory I know we're reading ahead a little bit, but if you notice in verse 17, it says this, that we may also be glorified with him. You Actually, don't trust me. Just put your eyeballs down on the passage. Okay. Uh, chapter 8, verse 17, that we also, we may be glorified with him. Verse 18, the glory that is to be revealed in us. 19, for the revealing of the sons of God. The revealing of the sons of God. And then finally, verse 21 the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Brothers and sisters, the door kicks open and you're on the stage. The God of the universe who is receiving his glory, all are bowing down to him in his power, moral perfection, flawlessness, compassion, and perfect plan. He brings us out on stage as his son and daughter and shares his glory with us, decreeing us to be his children and to rule with and under him in our new titles and new roles. You share the glory of God. Oh yeah, you get all the rest you'll ever need. 
all the happiness. But what I'm saying is text is saying like, you are an ounce of what you will be someday. Physically, position, or in essence, not even an ounce, not even worthy to be compared. There's a core of you that's there, right? Megan will always be Megan. But there's something new that God is making Megan. Something new that we don't see yet. She's not, Megan has not been yet fully revealed. The real Megan has not been peeled back. Consider some of these other texts. Okay, just before you think I'm a heretic or that I read that wrong, but I didn't because you read it with your own eyeballs. Other places in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 2.7, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Our. Not his in this text. Not his. Our glory. 2 Thessalonians 1.12, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of God. So what happens in this train of full circle is that we glorify God, and then God glorifies us in Him. 2 Thessalonians 1.12, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in Him. Verse 18 shows us that the glory is to be revealed in us. It's glory that is to be revealed in us. There's a change. He changes who we are. He's going to transform our lowly bodies so that we now live with him. We will have a resurrected. We cannot reign with him. Some of his argument here is that we cannot reign with him until we are physically changed. So someday, um, I'm going to die. Okay, someday I'm going to die. And a bunch of you guys will be my funeral. Um, And uh, you're going to lower me in the grass. All right, my body, I'll be with the Lord, like mentally, cognitively with the Lord, absent in the body, present with the Lord, and you're going to lower me down in the grass. But what I'm saying is that someday Jesus is going to come back and he's going to raise this body out of that grave and my feet will be on the grass. And not only will it be this Scott Burns that you see and all of its not-so-gloriousness or glory, um, and then he's going to do something new to me. He's going to change me because I need to be changed to be able to, to reign with him. So, so consider this. This is 1 John 3, 2. Okay, John, who wrote this to the power of spirit, is Jesus' BFF. He hung out with Jesus all of his ministry, okay? And then John had interactions with the risen Jesus. So if we think through Jesus in his resurrected body, it's off the charts. Um, he has the ability to materialize and dematerialize himself, right? <laughs> Floats into a room, <laughs> comes in, Pass me the fish. Chows on some fish. Walks through a wall, chows on fish. Right? Like he goes in, goes out. He uh, evidently is able to change his appearance. His key people are looking at him. They know who he is, but they're saying he know who he is because they don't recognize him. Right? He's recognizable in some senses and not recognizable in some senses. Taking long walks with them, like busting out the whole Old Testament on one walk, and they're like, I think I know who this is, but I don't recognize the beard. Things are changing here. We then see him, you know, ascend to heaven. I like to, in my mind, I like to see the end of Matrix. Like, um, for me, it was, when I was first thinking that, I always saw, like, some flannel graph cloud came down, and you put the flannel graph Jesus on the flannel graph cloud, and boo 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 brought up here. But I think in that day, he just took off. And everyone's standing there dumbstruck, and that's why the angel's like, what are you looking at? 
So we see Jesus doing a bunch of different things. And then we see in the book of Acts, Jesus talking from the sky, right on Paul, speaking down to him. Jesus' resurrected body is not like ours. It's kind of like it, but it's different. But what John, who saw all of that except for Jesus speaking to Paul, he didn't see that one because he wasn't with Paul. John says we still don't know what his body, resurrected body, is like. So that's what him in chapter, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. Sonship. And what we will be has not yet appeared. We don't know what we are, what I'm going to be like, what Emma Gill's going to be like. We don't know that quite yet. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So we saw the beginnings of Jesus' resurrected body, but we don't fully understand what Jesus' resurrected body is. But he tells us this, we will be like him. And you have to physically be transformed to your full form, shall we say, which would be like Christ. And because we haven't known what he is like fully yet, we don't know what we will be fully known. But Jesus says, but God says, I've got something coming for you. And it's really, really amazing. It's so amazing. I like to say that I'm going to glorify you. And if the God of heaven who makes heaven and earth and all created stars and beings says, I will glorify you. I'm just telling you, friends, um, you're going to be amazed at who you are. You are but a seed of who you will be someday. He actually uses that language of seed in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35, 53. Got some selections here. You don't have to turn there. He says this. The revealing of the sons of God, man. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? And what kind of body do they come? Oh, you foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the... And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps a wheat or some other grain. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, and what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in natural body. It is raised in a spiritual body. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, that's our granddad Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven, is Jesus. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Why do you need resurrection? Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we shall be changed for this perishable body must put on imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. There is a change coming in your body, and it's glorious. If that still doesn't convince you, check out Philippians chapter 3, verse 21. He who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Jesus, who upholds all things by the word of his power, will transform your body to be like his body. This isn't a one-off. This isn't stuck in some corner of Scripture. This is laced from the earliest Thessalonians writings to the latest Third Johns. All the way through there, Christ tells you, you aren't now what you're going to be like. You will be utterly, fantastically changed. And yes, you'll have rest, but you're going to have way more than rest. And you're not going to need the rest like you need it now. It's something big and hot 
and bold, and he calls it glory, and it's coming for you. Brothers and sisters, God is promising you that you are only a fraction of the beauty and power and wonder and Christ-likeness that you will be before long. You will be majestically glorious. Our third piece is this. Look in verse 18 again. The air life will be incomparable. Uh, verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed in us. So we just set up the idea of you will have glory, massive glory, legendary glory. And now he's going to talk about the comparison. He goes, the sufferings that you endure now, suffering with Christ, versus what you get, not even worthy to be compared. Consider who's saying this. This is the Spirit of God saying this. Consider who's writing it. This is Paul. He has suffered more than you will ever suffer at this point. <laughs> like beaten and shipwrecked and stoned and whatever, whatever, all this kind of stuff. Like, so the Spirit is saying this. He doesn't lie. Paul is writing this. He's well experienced in it. And then consider who testified to this. Jesus, who tells all these people walking around, forsakes his life, telling them of the kingdom, teaching them truth, and then dies and comes back. And isn't it amazing? <clears throat> okay. If you were telling a bunch of people for three years that it's worth all of your life to lay it down for future, and then you died and came back out, but let's just say your death was horrible, absolutely atrocious, full of torture and blood and negligence and everyone leaving you, if you were wrong at all, if you were wrong at all, your message would change. And quite honestly, if you were completely right, I think that you'd be tempted to come back and say, oh, okay, I tested it all, we're spot on. But I think the amazing thing is that Jesus doesn't even address it when he comes back. Doesn't even talk about it. The whole suffering, the horrible dying, doesn't even mention it. Comes back straight in the room and says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. And is simply systematically laying out the next steps. It is so completely worth the investing of everything that we have here and embracing the sufferings of Christ here for the glory that we get there that Christ didn't even clarify it, didn't even affirm it, just simply came in with this next message. I think it's an astounding thing what Jesus came back in with. So consider who's saying this. This is an amazing attribute. So, all right, so just for one second, what does this do for you now? What does it do for you now? Number one, let your eyes on that stage refocus and see the things that are way, way beyond our understanding, okay? Like, begin this. So, I mean, start searching Scripture for your glory in His glory. Not your glory aside from His glory, but your glory in His glory. And then, as that shifts, and you see the massiveness of His glory, and you see the astoundingness of your glory in it, it changes where you're looking for glory. You're no longer a kid looking for glory of other kids. You're no longer an adult wanting the other ladies to like you or people of the opposite gender to be swayed by you or for you to become a legend or for you to become accepted. Last night I was at this middle school dance and, and um, it's an amazing high-low of humanity going on there. <laughs> um, but there was um, uh, like, there's like sweet like happiness happening, but then there's all this glory going on, all this glory going on. And some people were, highly glorified amongst themselves. And some people were mockingly glorified because they were a fool and everyone was like, yeah, yeah. But then when they turn around, you see their eyes roll. And then there is, um, um, 
there's like a, you know, the, I always kind of break, my heart breaks for those that are kind of outcasts, you know. And I remember just, I remember seeing this one girl there and she's kind of dancing by herself. There's like 80 people on the floor. Hey, okay, listen. <clears throat> if you ever see me dance, I don't get near the dance floor. Shanetta can I have an amen. She's seen it. <clears throat> it's not good. So I'm clearly off the dance floor. And this girl's out there and she's just kind of by herself and kind of trying to figure out what to do. And, um, I don't know, my heart just kind of broke for her. Like, she didn't have a lot of friends around her, and um, she's trying to figure out what to do out there and how to get along. And uh, there was this great, great battle for, like, acceptance. You understand acceptance is just a battle of glory, right? You want other people to recognize your glory, for them to give you glory and say, hey, you're like us. You're, you're one of us, right? Come be a part, right? And I'm just saying, like, as a 12-year-old or an 82-year-old, as you stand on this stage and God says, hey, listen, this is not your glory here. This is a life investment. I am going to blow you away by who I'm making you. You're just a colonel now, but you're a beautiful colonel. So you shouldn't cut yourself. You shouldn't kill yourself. You shouldn't mock yourself and your limitations of what you aren't. Because there's a whole lot of things in the earth you're not. You're not as smart or not as popular or not as creative or not as logistical or not as not as not as short, not as tall, not as plump, not as strong, not as skinny, not as whatever. All kinds of stuff you're not and all kinds of things you are, but you are made perfect by God and his design. You're designed and you're precious in that. You're a little, but you're, you're a seed. And someday God's going to put the seed in the ground and this massive, amazing, beautiful oak tree is going to come out of that seed but it comes out of that seed. And that's God's seed, and it's beautiful. So you look at the passage, you let your eyes soak in and go, okay, there's continuity between who I am now and who I will be then. But there is discontinuity. There is massive explosion of it. So what do you do with this passage? This passage says, what I'm going to do in you, in you, not just to you, not give you, but in you, is absolutely incomparable to the worst of things that you suffer here. And by the worst, he means the worst. The worst. Can you seek the glory that comes from God and not from man? Can you fear God and not man? Can you seek the, the approval of God and not seek the approval of man? Because God will not stick you in the back. Here's, here's some, but this is, old, this is all in the old Bible. It's in the Bible. It's everywhere too, right? John 12, bad guys. Jesus says, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that came from God. This passage is God, if you're 12 or 82, this is God sitting there and go, whose glory do you want? Do you want weight in this short little life from short little people who are all twisted and will stab you in the back and eat you? Or do you want glory from me? Which one will you take glory from? Romans 2.7 the opposite is for those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. So coming to Jesus isn't you just flopping on the floor and say, well, Jesus, use me. Plow me into your field. I'm just going to be nutrients for your plants. Like he's, no, no, no. Coming to Jesus, laying your life down is so that you can find your life. It is seeking glory and honor and immortality. You just don't seek it from other junior hires anymore. You don't seek it from your mom anymore. You don't seek it on social media, always posting a picture with a filter, trying to look good. You don't need that anymore. You don't need followers. You've got God. And if you don't, if you don't, he has some really strong words. 
This is in Habakkuk 2, 16. So if you're in that spot where God's saying, care about my glory, let me give you glory. And you got this whole crappy world around here saying, care about my glory. Can take a little bit more. I know we've treated it terribly for all these years, but just a little bit more because we'll change tomorrow. If that's still a fighting battle in your heart and you want glory from the world, listen to what Christ says. This isn't him wooing you. This is him warning. Habakkuk 2.16. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision for the cup of the Lord's right hand will come upon you and utter shame will come upon your glory. That's hard stuff. You will not, you seek the glory that comes from the world, you will not get glory. You will get shame. God promises it to you. He tells you there. He's been saying this for thousands of years. It's just that we struggle to listen. We struggle to read it. We struggle to listen. So we seek the glory that comes from above. So being an heir of God brings about a radical glorification of our being. We will be changed and made massively impressive. And the sufferings here, the investment here, is not worthy to compare it of the massive goodness that comes out of it. Is he a liar or is he not a liar? I guess I just want you to know how clear he's saying this. Nothing you lose today will matter at all compared to all you gain in me. Is that true or is that a lie? You've got to figure that out in your heart. Fourth piece. Fourth and fifth are very short. Creation longs for us. Creation longs, I mean, this is crazy stuff. Okay, Eyes are settling, you're on the stage, like you see a little more. Look at verse 19. For the creation awaits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Okay, Bible, Bible, Bible. Let's come back and listen to that carefully. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. It doesn't say for God to come back. Creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the real you. That's what the earth is looking for. Fine, lower your emissions and your carbon footprint. The earth isn't longing for that. The earth is longing for the real you, the real sons and daughters. Verse 20, for creation was subjected. Okay, some cool economics here. We're not going to slow down, but lock into this. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. So God subjected creation to futility, a brokenness, a curse, Genesis 3, because of what we did to it. And he did it, tells us his purpose. He did it in hope. God hopes. It's coming at the end. God hopes. Isn't that funny? Wouldn't think that. God subjected the earth to a curse because of a purpose of hope. That the creation itself will be set free. This is verse 21. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to that curse, to corruption that came from sin, and to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Creation is not longing for the freedom of the glory of God here. Creation here says it's longing for the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Creation is longing for you to be glorified, longing for the real you. Creation is longing for the freedom that comes from you being glorified. And me being glorified, us, the big family of God. He's bringing a whole bunch of children out in that stage. And creation is cracking its knuckles, waiting, groaning, longing, and suffering, waiting for freedom that happens when its true lords show up on the stage. When its true lords show up on the stage. 
Not because we usurp the Father at all. But you understand, the Father, who is king over all, is saying, let me describe for you your role. Let me describe for you the weight you have over all of creation in the future. This is yours. This is coming. Don't tell him it's not. He knows what's up. You don't. Right? So this is gospel thinking. He says, look at this shared glory and look at how it permeates into all creation. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together. Audiovisual reference for deep soul longing in the pains of childbirth until now. And finally, our fifth piece says this, the spirit filled longing for us. So creation longs for us and the spirit filled long for us. Look at verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits, a first and beginning taste of the spirit. We groan inwardly as we await, eagerly await adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. When we, we actually firsthand taste and experience the adopted father with our new bodies. So he's saying not only is creation grown and long for our glorification, but we who have the spirit, so this isn't the world. This isn't unredeemed Christians. This is Christians who have the Spirit. We have this new longing and unsettledness until we are made as we ought to be made. So quite possibly, quite possibly, I would encourage you to think about this in your fights against anxiety and despair and dejection and fatigue. Just consider this little piece that may be an unforeseen piece in your thinking. Realize that in your fight against all these things of anxiety, despair, fatigue, anger, that some of what you are experiencing may be, may be a new and rightful longing in your heart for transformation to be like Christ. It might be part of it. You might be experiencing part of what you have is a longing to be what you aren't yet, but you will be someday. Creation, new creation, both are unsettled and actively awaiting all the blessings that come with God's children being transformed and elevated by God himself. Our last piece is this. Hope patiently waits. Hope patiently waits. Verse 24 and 25. For this hope we were saved. Okay. Bibly, bibly, bibly again. I'm just going to say that sometimes, you know, I, I don't know if it's like you, but I get reading my Bible and all of a sudden there's some confusing words there and I just kind of like hop into this high level of reading and I'm not really dealing with the words because the words are kind of confusing. This is one of those passages for me. I hope we can unfold this. So don't just... Bible, 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 read it. Like, let's just slow it down. For in this hope, we were saved. Specifically hope, not already realized in sight. There's a, uh, there's a contrast here between hope. So in hope, we were saved. Not sight, but hope. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, by definition. If you see it, it's not hope, Right? I hope Mallory's here. No, I know Mallory's here. I see it. Hope's gone. This morning, I was hoping to see Mallory. Today, sight. Right now. Okay, so hope's not here. Sight's here. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Okay. With brevity. I, I just want to change something in your English language. We have the word in the Bible, particularly New Testament, hope. It's a specific Greek word. It is not what our English word hope is now. Our English word hope, when you read it, I think most of us, oh, at best, it's kind of like wishfulness. Almost every time I use it, 
Uh, the only time I use it correctly is if I'm like quoting a Bible verse. So I, I'm gonna, again, I'm going to give you some different English words to work with this. But we use English as like general wish. I sure hope, I sure hope John likes me. I sure hope that says he's here tomorrow. I sure hope, I sure hope, I sure hope. It usually means not likely going to happen, but it sure would be nice if it did. That's English hope. That is not New Testament hope. How do I know that? Because God hopes in this passage. He subjected the earth in hope. The earth wasn't hoping. It doesn't have that ability. It wasn't Satan to it. God had hope. It is an earnest expectation when we see hope. He's telling us that the system under which we live now is not a now system. We invest the now system, the now life, for the then life. So the now life right now is now a life of not sight, but a life of hope. So here's my rule for you. Maybe you can come with some better terms. Buy me coffee. It's Pastor Appreciation Month. New rule. When you read hope in the Bible, pronounce it funny so you don't think English hope, wishfulness. So you read hope like hope, whatever. When you're reading it, what that word is you see English is not what it means in Greek or in the Bible, Old Testament or New Testament. So change it up, whatever. Uh, have a new set of words you put over when you see hope. Biblical hope is wholehearted, desirous anticipation. It is wholehearted, desirous anticipation. That is why God subjected the earth to it. He subjected the earth into a curse with a wholehearted, desirous expectation that something's going to end, but it's certain. There is no lack of certainty in biblical hope. It is completely the removal of uncertainty. That's not English hope at all. That's why I want to say, make a funny word. When you read hope, hope is absolute anticipation, wholehearted, expectant anticipation. And God says that the life you now live, O future heir of God, future glorified one, that life you now live is a life of hope, not of sight. So all the stuff that comes from verse 26 on to the end of this chapter, these amazing things, these are things that are the fuel of hope. Not general well wishes that God will take care of us. No, no, he goes, Look at these things and put all of your eggs in the baskets of these things, the work of the Spirit and the love of God. We now live a life of confident, expectant anticipation. That is the nature of our life. We don't live it in sight. You're not glorified right now. In fact, right now, now is the life. And he says, embrace it. We suffer with him. What does it mean to be a child of God, an heir of God, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may be glorified with him? We've taken a different road, a different life. And that life means that now is the life of suffering with Christ. It's not the easy life. How do you do it? You live that life through the tool of hope. What is hope based on? Hope is based on truth and promises. So unless you're doing Bible memory and you have truths and promises understood and stuck in your mind, you won't have much hope. You'll have general wishfulness. That's not biblical hope. God's called you to put the rock-solid stuff there and to bank everything you have on it, even to the point of death. The new life of, of the child of God is one that is mostly awaiting, not enjoying yet the majority of our benefits. God's faithfulness will be experienced most often now by him not giving us our full blessings now. The life of being a child of God is a life of patient awaiting for the Lord to bless all investment and transform us into our full glory as heirs. So brothers and sisters, I hope that today I've just been able just to hammer the ice cap on the top of your glory and the glory of God. Just break it up a little bit and get you on the stage and let your eyes acclimate a little bit. It's everywhere. 
do your devos, reading through, look for your glory in God's glory. Like connect those dots, see where it is everywhere. See how your body transformed and changed is a big, big deal. See how little of a seed you are and how much of a great and massive thing that God is making you. And he says, I do not count the sufferings of this present world a life whereby I live in hope, worthy to be compared to the glories that will be revealed in you. And all of creation, and me, and us, we wait for, and we groan for the longing of the days for us, the real us, to be revealed. And it will be glorious. But until then, you're beautiful in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for deep text. Thank you for um, shocking, weird things that we'd never ever think about that are wonderful. And I pray you'd help us. Father, right now, Joel's going to come pray us through this and lead us as we seek your spirit.